Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome to today's episode, which is actually a second interview with the beautiful Jess Ainsworth. I did a previous podcast with Jess, which if you want to go and listen after today, it is episode 19, and it was all about healing through the body, mind, and consciousness, and it was a very, very juicy one. But I do have to add in a trigger warning for today's podcast because it is quite heavy, and it does... uh, really focus on the topics of trauma, PTSD and abuse, uh, more specifically child sexual abuse. I think if you are someone who has been through any of these issues, if you're someone who knows someone who has been through these issues, if you are a parent, um, I think that this may be a really hard podcast to listen to, but will actually provide a lot of value because it's one of those issues that it's just not spoken about anywhere near enough. And because of that, it builds a lot of shame and guilt and embarrassment around it, but it needs to be spoken about so people feel not only more comfortable coming forward, but also feel more comfortable knowing how to help other people through these issues, how to raise conversations with your children around these issues and so forth. Jess is the most multifaceted person I think I have ever met. She can speak to so many amazing issues and topics. She has been through so much in her life. I can't even like, she could write a book or 10 just about her own life um, and everything she's been through. If you have listened to the other episode, you'll know all about her journey suffering from Lyme's disease and all that came with that. But she actually does a lot of intuitive belief therapy. She's qualified in hypnotherapy, NLP, energy healing, and she is now also enrolled to do her Bachelor of Psychology so that she can really expand and reach more people on another level. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hi, I'm Jessie, your host of the Jessie Williams Podcast. I'm a personal trainer and women's online health coach, bringing you all things health, wellness, money, mindset, and just life in general. If you want to learn, laugh, and up-level your life, this is a podcast for you. Each episode, we'll talk habits, tips, tricks, and big ideas to nourish your mind and inspire you to create your dream life by design. Let's dive in. Hello, Jess, and welcome back to the podcast for a second episode. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Yes. Well, today is going to be probably a lot more. Um, oh, I feel like our last time we had a chat was very like airy fairy and woo woo. And we got into all of that nitty gritty. Whereas today's like, I think going to be a little bit more deep and a um, little bit more strategy based and stuff like that. So a really, really different angle, but I'm excited to kind of crack into it. Um, but before we kind of get into today's topic, I would love to, to ask you, because obviously, uh, you've just kind of founded Trauma Untangled, I guess your new business venture after having already founded Aruka. So for anyone listening, like, can you give a little bit of background context to context into why you kind of created Trauma Untangled and why you decided to create that separation from Aruka? Yeah. So Aruka was started, like Aruka literally means, the words mean paradise within. So Aruka was created um, to help people find paradise within themselves and within their life. So the way that um, Aruka sort of developed is that basically 
to find paradise within, you have to work through your traumas and you have to work through your limiting beliefs and um, past experiences. So it kind of became a lot about that and less about, you know, finding joy, finding peace, um, you know, like finding a life that brings you so much purpose and finding your purpose and things like that, which is where it sort of started. And it kind of ended up being a lot about the actual, a lot about trauma and a lot of technical things. And, and that's what I personally love. I love psychology and dissecting information and why the brain works the way it works. But I kind of came to this realization that some people aren't interested in learning about that. They actually just want to feel happier and more free and joyful. And so I wanted a Rupert to become more of a platform that is inspiring and that's going to inspire people to find that paradise within and a little bit more lighthearted. And I created Trauma Untangled so that I could then um, give that, like these statistics, these hard facts, these like the way that the brain works, like the nitty gritty details, the way that trauma affects us, dissociation, betrayal trauma, repressed memories, like the science and the information behind all of that for anyone that's searching that kind of the more fluffy stuff, we'll call it, isn't quite cutting it for them. You know, they're doing their positive affirmations and their mantras and they've had some healing sessions and they're still struggling and they've got maybe PTSD or complex trauma or something like that. And they need that more information and understanding. So I kind of saw that I had so much information to give around that, but I really wanted to split it so that there was these two different platforms that had a really different sort of meaning. Mm, I love that. And I think that Aruka can actually be a really good stepping stone as well for people who actually need more of the trauma untangled in their life, but don't yet feel ready to face that or something like that. Or they're not even aware of it in terms of it's suppressed, which we'll go into today and more of like repressed memories and things like that. But I, I know that for when I came and saw you for a session through Aruka, um, you know, I, the stuff that I came in was very like, oh yeah, like life's pretty good. Um, I just want to like let go of these fear limiting beliefs and this and this and this and then working with you all of this big heavier deeper stuff came up and it's just so funny because once you're on the other side you're like of course all of this links up and of course that leads to that and that but when you're an adult if you've been through something traumatic and stuff like that the adult version of you thinks that it's not a big deal because you're an adult and it was oh it was so long ago and it's so easy to project it into the past and feel like you don't care about it anymore but it doesn't mean there's not a part within your kind of subconscious mind that is still holding on to that experience and it's kind of like playing out and impacting other areas in your life so let's kind of dive into I guess I want to start off with because as I said a lot of people don't feel ready to dive in what can you speak to in terms of the shame people are feeling around their traumas um both more light and heavy in terms of some people might just have, you know, those little T traumas, things that they just had an absent parent and they think that their trauma isn't worthy of healing right through to people that have such intense trauma, but they feel shame or embarrassment or even sometimes guilt about what happened to them. Like they have blame and stuff like that. How can people allow themselves to release that shame, guilt, fear, anything like that to actually begin seeking support and doing that work yeah yeah that's a really good question so it's really difficult um it there is such a such a spectrum um but there is a level of shame at, at every level with regards to any sort of trauma that happened and not any sort of trauma but most traumas there is a level of shame and whether it is exactly what you said there are people that are like 
I shouldn't still care about this. Like I shouldn't worry about this. Like it happened so long ago. But what I always say to people is like, it doesn't matter if you, if, if it, how long ago it happened, if it is still affecting you, it's still affecting you. And then it needs to be worked on. And the thing with shame that I've found is that it's one of those catch 22s because you don't want to speak about it because you're so ashamed and you feel like people will judge you, but in not doing that, it actually, it increases that shame. Like it just, it Mm. multiplies it. And one thing that I've found is like speaking out actually and saying like the, the things that the things that you've never thought you would say out loud, actually people will come back to you and say, I can imagine how you would have felt that way. Like their understanding and that shame is actually decreased. Once you speak the words out loud, it it almost is like once you hold it in, it just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. But as soon as you let a little bit out, it just starts to diminish. Like it really does. And shame is such a hard one because it is, it's what's going to stop you from telling people like, Mm. and there's people that have shame about, the way that they reacted to their trauma. So there's a lot of people who the, the bad thing happened to them, but instead of kind of going, okay, well, like that person shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have been in that situation. They beat themselves up. And this is just a default program that we do for, that we use for safety as children. Like if we, especially if it's a caregiver, so if it's a caregiver that's abusing us or someone that we can't actually fight back, we then have to, our brain has no other option but to decide that we've done something wrong and to blame ourselves because otherwise we might die. Like if we fight back against that person or we tell on them, like there's so many, there's so much fear and so many problems around sort of fighting back that we decide that we did something wrong. And so we then blame ourselves and we hold that shame. And then when we think back to the memories, we can also think, oh, well, you know, or it's my fault, I should have told someone or, you know, and we feel that shame on ourselves for the action that we didn't take or any that number of things. And again, talking about it and saying it out loud, sometimes in your head, it makes perfect sense. It's like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. And then you say it out loud and someone's like, that's so fucked up. No, that person Mm -hmm. shouldn't have been doing that. You don't have to. And then you're like, you can sort of pull it out and look at it and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I shouldn't be ashamed. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. I was seven. <laughs> I was five. Like, whatever. And then it, it's that breaking it down. But as long as it stays in your head, you know, it's that saying, stay in your head, you're dead. Like, as long as it stays in your head and it circles around, you can keep convincing yourself and strengthening it. But as soon as you say it out loud and you have other supportive opinions, and that's a whole other subject because there are a large number of people that don't have support when they speak out. But Mm. if you do have support and you're speaking to, you know, professionals or supportive family, then you're going to be able to untangle it (laughs) a lot quicker. Yeah, I can even relate that to even lighter and little things, even within business. If I was to have like a journaling session where I was like, okay, I want to sit down and work out like what's blocking me from like the next level or, you know, personal life or anything. And I write out like what my fears are on paper and they make so much sense in my head. Like, oh, I'm scared of failing or I'm scared. And then you write out like I'm scared of failure on paper and you're like, what? Why? It's just such that thing where in your head it feels so real, but then out outside of yourself all of a sudden it's like you get that clarity so what about for someone who like working through that shame to maybe a little bit more of um 
I don't know, embarrassment perhaps in terms of maybe they don't um, hold on guilt for what happened. Um, they don't hold on guilt for how they reacted in that situation, but they uh, almost like scared of telling anyone, um, which there was a question relating to this that came through Instagram, which we'll, we'll dive into, but telling other people in the sense of it's kind of like, okay, well, I know it was fine, but if I tell someone else, I'm scared of what they'll think of me and almost like wanting to reject sympathy about it. Yep. Does that kind of make sense? Like how can someone like, I guess, let go of that fear of being looked down on for what, what happened to them? Absolutely. Like this has been a huge thing for me in sort of speaking about sexual abuse as a child, like a child and things that happened to me because it is like that, you don't want to be seen as that person that's damaged. Mm. Like you don't want to be seen as that person that needs protecting and that, you know, and you don't want to be, you're, you're ashamed. Like you want to feel like you're strong and on top of things. So you don't want to speak about it because then it might make you look weak. And all of this is just beliefs. Like once you remove the beliefs, it's easier to speak. And I know that one of the other things that really stops people from speaking out, and I know this from experience, is like every time I've told somebody about what happened to me, it's that moment of like, once I say this out loud, it's real. If it's in my head and no one knows about that it happened, then I can just struggle with it and I can work my way through it. But once I tell somebody else, things might start happening. Like that person might be held accountable or, you know, people might leave. Like things happen when you say it out loud. So it's not so much the fear there is definitely a fear of rejection like I know that when I spoke out to my family about things that happened to me like especially my brother and sister like I was sweating and shaking before I could get the words out because I was so afraid that they would turn around and say I don't believe you and then I would lose them from my life so it comes back to for a lot of people the fear of losing all of the people that they love if they don't believe them and so in that is kind that is rejection rejection of what that, that person not believing them mm. but these are the sort of things that hold them back and in regards to advice to like moving past that like <laughs> for me it was this needs to be done for me to heal my intuition is telling me that this is what I need to do and it was a case of one two three go like one, two, three word vomit. Like mm -hmm. there's no, there's no easy way to do it. It's not going to be mm. easy. And, but afterwards, if you have that support, it's like a huge, huge weight lifted off your shoulders, like an undescribable weight lifted off your shoulders when the person that you thought might turn their back on you is actually supporting you. It's huge. Yeah. I know even like, um, with me, what you, what you know that I obviously went through, a lot of what I carry is um, a feeling of unworthiness of love because I think like, because what I went through, I went through with somebody else, um, my best friend at the time, um, and she had it a lot worse in air quotation marks, I guess you could say. And so like anyone who I have uh, decided to open up to and talk about, it's kind of like, I'm that strong, like, oh, like it's fine. Like it's, I, it didn't, wasn't that bad. Um, because in my head, I'm like, oh, my best friend had it worse than me. What do I have to complain about? Um, I'm not worthy of receiving, you know, care or love or sympathy, um, because she had it worse. So kind of like projecting and almost like closing myself off from like receiving that love and support, um, 
I don't know if you can kind well, of and like everybody relate, yeah. that's not just you because of that specific situation that is everybody like the things that have happened to me throughout my childhood if I say them out loud to people they're like holy shit but when I mm. think of it I think people have got it way worse than me like mm. I like people have got it so much worse than me like I shouldn't be making a big deal out of this and it comes from different places for me that came from conditioning over a long period of time that you know a lot of really heavy emotional manipulation to make me believe that I wasn't important and that this other that my abuser was far superior and far more important to me and that my needs don't matter and that and that sort of thing so that would stop me from actually believing that what that what happened was was big and that I deserve attention and love and support from my family with regards to it it kind of had to be and it's also that feeling of like if you just dismiss it and be like it's not a big deal then you think that you can avoid it and this is what so many people do they just keep busy they hustle 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 they're like from friend's place to the next friend's place to the shopping to the home and they just go 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 and they think that they're coping because they got moving up in life but they're running they're just running and running and running and they're exhausted and they're you know they're not They've got no energy and there's things in their body are falling apart because they're trying to run away from it. And we think that we're, we're doing such a great job when so many of us aren't. And I did a post on high functioning anxiety, which is just trauma. It's just a response to trauma. And so many people were like, oh my gosh, this is me. This is me. What do I do? And they freaked out. I'm like, sorry, everyone. I didn't mean to freak you out, but <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, it's so many people are doing it and it's not, it's like just it's just a thing that we do so that we don't have to feel how bad it really was and that's the same thing as with your friend it's like that they had it worse so you can diminish your experience so you can just feel like you can just move on and it doesn't matter and it's in the past and but the past is in the present so you can't outrun it and it's so funny like how all of these things which are it's like um how do you even word it? It's like society as a whole puts it on a pedestal, but anyone who's in it knows it doesn't feel good. So for example, the hustle, it's like our society culturally, we like really, really praise the hustle, but anyone who's hustling, it doesn't feel good. It's like people pleasing. A lot of people like, you know, love people who go above and beyond and things like that. But anyone who's the people pleaser, it feels like crap. And it's like all of these things, like the hustle, they're not being able to stop or slow down the people pleasing and things like that. It's all trauma responses. And I know people pleasing was a huge one for me which I kind of want to go dive into because I know we had very, very, very different experiences. Um, mine being that I actually spoke about mine straight away. Um, even as a very, very young girl, the first thing I did was went and told my mom. Um, and my outcome was obviously, uh, he was prosecuted for what happened. Um, and so that I had a lot of people pleasing from feeling guilt around dibby dobbing sort of thing. Versus I know for you, it came a little bit later um, in life and stuff like that. And I had a question similar about someone who's actually a client of mine. um, And I opened up to people being able to ask questions. And my client reached out and said that she has a vivid memory, a very, very vivid memory. She can play it out in her head. She can remember the sounds of her brother playing in the next room and things like that. Like everything, like it's like she can go back and relive that experience. And it felt very real for her. of her dad sexually assaulting her 
Um, and she's had this vivid memory flashback throughout multiple times throughout her childhood and throughout her life. Um, and she actually decided to confront her dad about it and ask him about it. And he has convinced her she dreamt it. Um, it never happened. She was completely dreaming. And every time she brings it up, he just makes her feel like she's, she's somewhat crazy. And she came and she said, I'm actually starting to feel crazy because I can't, I'm like feeling really dissociated between whether it was a dream or whether it really happened. It feels very real to me. Um, and I've had, actually, that's not the first person I've had have a similar experience. So how can someone even begin unpacking that in terms of, okay, was that a dream that I've held on to? Was that a memory? How do I know? How do I unpack this? Like, where does someone even begin with something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So as you said, like I have been unpacking this, like nobody's business. Like I've been researching and studying and trying to figure out this kind of information because repressed memory is, it's a, it's a real thing. And it's such a big thing that nobody knows about. Nobody speaks about, and it does, it makes you feel crazy. So the key sort of points that I would love for people to know is that a repressed memory you don't have them throughout your whole life. If it's a dream, you don't have it throughout your whole life. First things first. Like if you have flashes of a memory that pop up all throughout your life, that's PTSD. That's a flashback. So the second thing to know is that if you have a memory and you can remember specific things, you can remember sounds, you can remember smells and that you can feel it in your body it's not a dream. It's not a dream that you've had and then you thought it was real because you can't implant the feelings. You just can't. So the only reason we have emotional reactions to some of our dreams is because they're based on something in reality. If if you have a dream that's totally whack, that means nothing, there's no emotion attached to it. And that's the other thing as well. If you can remember which house you're in and you can remember hearing your brothers and sisters and you can remember those sort of small details, Dreams aren't linear like that. Dreams are crazy. Like there's no, they, they just don't happen like that. Mm. So if you can feel it in your body, if it's, if it's, if you've remembered it for a long like period of time, and even if you don't remember the whole thing, and that's what it was for me, it was, it was two scenarios that would, that would flash in my mind all throughout my life. And this is the funny thing about shame. I would have the memory and then I would go, it would pop up at a random time and then I'd go, oh, you're disgusting for thinking about that. And I'd like literally like blink my eyes hard to try and push this thought and this memory and the smell and the sound and the feeling out of my body. And I did that for like 23 years. And then one day in COVID when I was like, you know, struggling and trapped and everything was coming up and this is what happens when you get to an older age as well, when you're no longer reliant on a caregiver Um, because when we're children, we're reliant on, on adults to look after us, especially our parents. Mm. So it's not safe for us. As we said earlier, it's not safe to, to confront that situation as a child because they're there to protect you and to keep you safe. And if you speak up or you fight back then you could be an orphan you know like there's there's a lot of fear around that so when you are older it's more likely to resurface when you have your own children or when you just get to a certain age where you feel like you're not reliant on parents or on um, older people anymore and you've kind of got a bit of independence so when those memories came back 
I kind of just kept pushing them, like I kept pushing them away like I had my whole life. But then I got to this point in my life where I didn't need, I felt quite safe with, you know, with my husband and with my home and with my family. And all of a sudden one day these memories started coming back a lot more often. Mm. It wasn't just like once a month or once a week they'd flash. They would start flashing all the time. And once they started doing that, it was like they were trying to get my attention. Like it was, I would be doing something and it would just pop in and I'd remember something and think, oh, and, you know, and you're conscious and you're awake. And that's another reason how you know that it's a repressed memory and not a dream because you're awake and it, and something triggers it and reminds you it's a trigger. So I would have these flashbacks and they started occurring more and more frequently. And then one day I stopped and when hold on a minute I'm not disgusting for thinking about this this is it's disgusting that this is happening I'm not to blame here why am I feeling shame for thinking about it why did it happen and I actually stopped and looked at it and the moment I stopped and looked at it it came into a bit more it came a bit clearer it wasn't such a a body memory there was a little bit of a narrative I could see where I was and what was happening and and then all the other memories, it was like I opened a box, all the other memories started flooding in. And I've read books on this written by the world's best psychologist. And this is exactly how it happens. They flood in. Once you fit, once you open the box, they flood in. And what happens is when something unspeakable happens, something that you can't, you can't comprehend as a child, like not a trauma that, that you feel felt really uncomfortable, but you felt safe to tell someone about it, or, you know, something where you were properly terrified and you just couldn't comprehend what was happening there's like a special part of your brain where you can drop those memories and it's an unconscious part of your brain that you don't even know that they're there and you have these flashes and you have these symptoms of PTSD you might have struggled with like chronic depression and severe anxiety and or just been miserable your whole life and never knowing why and then once they start to resurface it's like oh yes okay I can't stand the sound of my husband laying behind me breathing because that reminds me of when he he was behind me when I was a child and I could hear him breathing and all these memories come back and everything links up and it's that's how you know that it's like the things that you've struggled with your whole life make sense and you can link those memories back to those things and it's freaking amazing that our brains can do this to protect us like I for my whole life told everyone that my abuser was the bit like the greatest because I had to give myself that narrative as a child in order to survive, in order to get through it. And that's what we do as children. We create narratives that, that support us, that get us through. And sometimes they're negative. Like there's a lot of negative effects of that. Like, Oh, you know, I must've been naughty. I must've done something wrong. I'm a bad person, whatever you decide these things about yourself and you also carry those, but it's not as bad as having to feel the pain in the moment. So your brain just does what it does to protect you. Mm. So that, you know, that specific question, I, the second part to that question is an abusive father. 99% of the time is not going to be like, Hey, yeah, yeah. I actually did sexually abuse you. Yeah. It was great. Loved it. Like that's never, ever going to happen. They've got way too much to protect, especially if they're still with the mother. And this is where, again, it's really difficult to speak out if 
the father, if your father is still with your mother, because that's a whole new level. Um, but, you know, there's no, um, it's just no way that, they, that they're going to do that. And the saying that it is a memory and saying that, and saying that it's a dream, sorry, like that's just textbook. That's textbook shit. Like that's total manipulation to make the person feel like they're crazy. Like what child grows up and thinks, you know what, I'm just going to start dreaming that my dad molested me and I'm just going to start to think that that's real. Like no one with a beautiful upbringing with a sturdy, fully functioning brain that hasn't been traumatized just does that. That just doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. So, you know, I've been accused of, um, you know, this false memory syndrome and implanting these memories into my own mind and, you know, that I've dreamt it up in a dream and that I'm, and I've done this for attention and all these sorts of things. And honestly, to this person, I would love to say like, it's not, it's not easy. It's definitely not easy to know your truth and to say, no, I know that this is true. Um, but once you can, once you know that it's true, it does get easier to see the manipulation. Like you can start to see okay, of course they're not going to admit that. And there's, there's statistics on on this, on like the Australian government website, on like the criminology, AI, C, whatever it is, about this. And like it's 15% of the entire population of women in Australia are abused by their own father. And this is people that come forward, Reported. go to court, family services. This is like a very minimal number like it's it would be a lot more than that but that is so many people and it doesn't get spoken about because of all of these intricacies of family dynamics brothers and sisters not believing being made out to feel like you're crazy and because it's such a taboo thing like no one can actually imagine that a father could do that to their daughter and no one wants to speak about it because it's like well that's I don't want to think about that people don't just push aside the things that they don't want to see as reality and so they don't speak about it and people that have been abused are too afraid to speak about it so it just becomes this big elephant in the room and anyone that's experienced it the the chances of actually healing it are just so slim yeah like where do you like if if it's 15 percent of women and that's reported can you imagine the real number of the amount of people like triple it at least um yeah which is just unbelievable but what what goes on there in terms of the brain I don't even know if you can answer this question but I'm really curious hearing you speak about it what goes on in the brain for that to be like oh I can still feel all the feelings in my body of the terror um and I wasn't home and I remember just thinking like I just want to call my mom and I remember being like oh if I run and get the phone like he'll hurt me um and stuff like that but then I don't remember anything I remember having a conversation with my best friend the next day and then it's like it skips time again and then I just remember being at home and being like, mommy, I have something to tell you and, you know, pulling her into her room and just saying it so, like, I remember feeling awkward Deta- but it, but detached. I was detached. I was so detached. I was awkward but do. detached. Yeah. Um, and I remember just telling it like, yeah, it's this really detached thing and just threw it out. And I remember saying, but don't tell anybody, like don't tell anyone. Um, you can't tell anyone um, versus someone else who like my client or like yourself and stuff that the memories go into that little subconscious part of the brain. Okay. I'm going to push that aside and suppress. What 
creates that difference between opening up and vocalizing it versus, and I know there's probably a lot of moving parts that would contribute. That's a great question. Um, yeah, versus it being suppressed. Like why the suppressed versus not? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting that you say that because I actually, when I was younger, I actually did tell somebody and that person, when it was similar to you in that when I told that person, I didn't know that what I was telling them was bad. I knew that it felt uncomfortable and there's terror and everything in that memory and in that feeling and in those moments. But because it was told to me so many times that it was, that it was okay and that it was normal and that I was special and that, you know, I was so loved and everything, it was, it wasn't seen as a, um, a bad thing. So when I told this person, it was more like, Hey, I've got a secret to tell you. Mm. And the, actually the, the repression for me actually came from, the absolute terror when I got in trouble from telling somebody that was when that was what actually repressed it for me it was the fear of like if I tell somebody else I'm going to die so that was that was what caused it to drop into the unconscious for me but then I know a lot of other people it's it's the same for you how you said you can remember the before and the after bit sometimes you can't remember the specific bits in the middle sometimes it's because that's dissociation. And there's a picture that amazingly um, like depicts this of like a child laying down with like an evil spirit on top of them, but the child's actually up in the clouds. And it's like you detach because it's so uncomfortable and you know that it's so wrong and it feels so bad that you, your mind literally leaves your body and it floats up above you into the clouds and it just checks out. And Oh, this is what happens with PTSD. So a lot of people then live their life anytime something triggers them or they feel slightly uncomfortable and it can add up to be so many different situations, they'll just zone out. They'll become like a zombie. They'll just go to their safe place, which is outside of their body, up in the clouds, and they'll just, and they don't know how to come back into their body. Mm. And so a lot of people, it's that, this, the second part to that is protective factors. So if you, for instance, were abused by someone outside of your immediate family and you had a really supportive immediate family, like a really supportive mum and dad, that's like a really strong protective factor. So you would then feel safe enough to go home when you were in your safe place to say, this happened to me and to mm. speak about it because you know that they'll protect you. So Another protective factor could be really good friends, um, a, a school teacher that you love that is really supportive and make sure that you're okay, um, just a safe home environment. So there's the level of protective factors that you have determines how likely you are to actually speak about what's just happened in that moment. So, or, you know, shortly after that moment. Whereas if, for instance, like myself, I was like I was really, really bullied at school um, and both home environments weren't great for me at that time, I didn't feel, although I do have a, a supportive parent, I didn't feel at that time because of other things that were going on that I had support anywhere. So I didn't have any protective factors, nowhere to disclose the information. So I had to make up what it meant in my own head and I had to deal with it myse myself. And this is from seven. So a seven-year-old, you know, making sense of it isn't going to be the same as an adult making sense of it. So this is where you get that problem. So it's, it's to do with the protective factors 
in the person's life as to how safe they feel to disclose when something uncomfortable has happened. And that's like a great thing for parents to know as well, because it's also that education of like, if parents say to you, no one, and I do this with my boys, like you're not to, like your private parts are your private parts. No one's to touch them. You don't touch your brothers. He doesn't touch yours. They're just for you. They're just special for you. Maybe when you're older and you have a wife, mm. they're, you know, they can touch them, but no one touches your private parts. They're just for you. And you don't touch anyone else's either. And if anyone ever does that or says to you, you know, it's a secret or they try to do that, you can always just come and tell me and trying to make the home a safe place so that because things, shit happens in life. These mm. things happen and it happens fucking so much. It's disgusting. But if you can create a safe space for a child, then they're more likely to disclose it and it can be healed and worked with in that moment rather than carrying it for decades and causing health problems and severe mental health problems and all of that sort of stuff. And, and the longer you leave it, the deeper the conditioning goes, like the deeper the beliefs go, the deeper the, the problems become. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear you say that because when you started speaking about how you speak to your boys, I immediately got this flash of my mum all of the time used to say the exact same thing to me, like these are yours, like no one. And even to the point she would say, and if someone tells you to keep it secret, if they offer you something, like if they tell you that they'll give you a gift in exchange, um, you know, she went through like every possible scenario. She's like, you can tell me anyway. So if they do this, you can still tell me. If they do this, you can still tell me. And so So you had that program. Yeah, it was so programmed. And it was like, immediately I remember just being like, got to tell mom, got to tell mom, got to tell mom, got to tell. And it was just like, replaying until the point I finally got home was like mummy I have to tell you something but it was like oh but don't tell anyone so it was like programmed in me tell mummy but oh you can't tell anyone else but I just got to tell you because you told me to tell you sort of thing yeah it's just so bizarre and Um, that's all you need and that's all it takes and that's that like people say sometimes like I don't want to bring it up with my children because I don't want to put fear into them mm. and like make them think that that's something that happens but the reality is it is something that happens and you'd rather them it's like don't teach them how to look both ways when they cross the road just because you don't want them to be afraid of cars. Yeah. And I had no fear. I had no fear. Like each time mum said that, I wasn't like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just so bizarre. It's, I think it's a little bit of a protection mechanism for the parent in terms of, I don't want to have a difficult conversation. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I I'm really fascinated on this repress things. And what I think is a little bit, ironic is that you don't really realize you have suppressed memories until or repressed memories until they're not right totally is there anything are there any signs that you can look out for to know whether you potentially do have them yeah yeah so that's a really good question because I wish that I had have known that to uncover them part of me believes that it's just time it's just your right time but for me I think that it was a combination of like being sick earlier in the year. A lot of panic in my body was bringing back a lot of memories of panic. So it was like getting myself into this huge state was putting me back into a place where I was once, which I don't recommend anyone doing. Um, But basically if you have um, something that's really common with PTSD is um, irritation to certain noises, certain sensations and certain situations like very specific situations so if you have those sort of things and you haven't been able to figure out why there's there's a cause there's always a cause we don't just be like you know what I hate 
the smell of bananas, whatever it is. Like mm. there's not, that's a really weird example, but that's not a personal example, by the way. Um, but if you, you know, if there's something like that, that's really specific, it doesn't just come from nowhere. Our brains just don't malfunction and just decide that it's coming from somewhere. So if you've got specific smells, sounds, sensations, things that give like an erratic response. So like, I used the example before of when my husband's laying behind me and if I can hear him breathing, like someone else would just be like, my husband's breathing. Whereas I'm like, I want to fucking kill him. Yeah, like, stop. And I get rage and I'm like, I need to get out of here and I want to run and I want to run to the other room. That's not a normal response to someone breathing. Mm. And I've yeah. always known that and I've always worked on that, but I could never figure out why. So if you always have this why, like why, why, like, like, I don't understand why I'm like this. And I know that a lot of people have that in general, but it's like that, yeah, like those specific things that don't make sense can be cut, like uh, most of the time coming from something that's repressed that you don't, that you can't see. And the other thing is like big gaps. Like if you actually think back to your childhood, like for me, I thought, yeah, I had this great childhood, blah, blah, blah. And then when I actually thought about it, thought about it, I was like with this specific person, I was like, hold on a minute. I only have three memories and I play them on repeat and they're all around the same age. And then I just don't have anything else at all. So it was like that huge gaps in years is can be another sign of like that there's something repressed because otherwise we have sort of a bit of a sequential memory, some things happening along the way. And, and it's kind of like a bit more of a narrative. Whereas if there's huge gaps, you know, that there's something sort of repressed in there. Um, and the other thing like for resurfacing them is for me because of COVID and because of this panic that was coming up it was um it was like a mantra of I am safe so I was like saying to myself all day I am safe I am safe I am safe I'm safe and I kept repeating and repeating it and breathing and then all of a sudden I was so safe that it was safe for all of this stuff to come up so mm-hmm. it's like and like it's taken me 10 years of getting healing work done, reading books, researching, studying to try and figure out why I am the way I am. And every session I'd get a little bit deeper and feel a little bit happier and think that I got rid of another trauma. And then it was just like, it was just this slow uncovering of these other things to get to like this big thing. And sometimes that's the only way it can happen. Your brain can't just be like, hey, yo, here's all of it for you to process because like the chances of survival are slim. Like, yeah. Even just with this one big thing, it's like it sends you into a freaking spiral of like just what is life, especially everything that you thought was real isn't real. And, and this is there's so many problems with with bringing it up, but also so much healing to be done. Mm, and we need to have that base foundation of just like security and safety before we can even dive into that for sure. Like your, your brain's not just going to give it to you. No. all at once because it, it won't give you what you can't handle and I mean some people it does and obviously they're not here with us like and the other thing as well is like the different ways that it can affect people like this that's what this is what borderline personality disorder is mm. like they're creating multiple personalities because they can't stand to be the person that was abused by someone and this is mostly like most borderline personality disorder is abuse from a caregiver because it's it's called betrayal trauma theory and it's it's the ultimate betrayal and they can't stand to be that person that wasn't loved and protected by their father or mother 
that they create this other person that's like super tough and then they have this other person then there's the person that's abused and then there's this other person that is emotional or whatever but they create these different people so they can switch between between so that they don't have to live in their body as that person all the time that it happened to Mm. can you dive into into that betrayal trauma like what because I think a lot of people will be like what is that um can you shed some light onto that yeah yep so like Betrayal trauma theory is was actually created by, it's an amazing story, Dr. Jennifer Freed, or F-R-E-U-D. Um, she, at 30, resurfaced memories of her father's abuse, spoke it to her parents, and her mother and father were still together, and her mother didn't believe her. And so her parents actually started this foundation. They were quite high up in America in you know, society, and they started this foundation and they created this um, disorder called false memory syndrome, and they got all these people to back it, and then they started helping other abusers to fight victims, to make victims lose in court and things by creating this false syndrome. So she then went to study to become a psychologist and then a psychiatrist and then a doctorate and then a professor and she has and she has like with other psychologists created this betrayal trauma theory which is really specific to incest abuse and to father daughter or mother son which is not very common um abuse and she it basically speaks about how it is the ultimate betrayal. Like it's the person who is supposed to protect you. And it talks about things that I talked about before where, you know, if you, if it's not a parent, if it's a cousin or a brother or a like brothers, yeah, still a bit funny, but like, you know, if it's not your mum or your dad, then there's different effects, but betrayal trauma theory focuses specifically on the kind of person that you have to become when you're not, supported and nurtured as a child by that caregiver and it talks about how difficult it is for that person to to go into therapy and things like that because there's no trust because the number one people that brought you into this world that was supposed to support you betrayed that trust straight up so it's really difficult to open up to people and they don't go to therapy the same way that other people go to therapy they they dart in and out and they don't want to go into it and they don't, and they can attack back. And like, there's all these different sorts of things that can happen as well as they then tend to recreate those relationships later on in life. So if there was a father that was manipulative, abusive, things like that, they'll decide that that's what they deserve. Like that's what, and that's, that's what they know. It's, it's just what you know and you're comfortable in what you know. So once they get older, they seek out that and they find unconsciously, of course, people that have those traits of people that will continue to manipulate and abuse them. And that's again, part of betrayal trauma theory that it doesn't just affect them as a child. It affects them in school. And it even talks about, you know, this book that I was reading, there was the school life of a normal teen girl and the school life of an abused teen girl. And it talks about what their day is like, who their friends are, how their friends treat them, all those sorts of things. And it gets so specific down to this kind of person that when I read it, I was like, like it's such a, such a specific thing that it does. So it, yeah, it's, and it doesn't just have to be sexual betrayal. Trauma theory can be like your parents, like, physically abusing you beating you up emotional manipulation like and a lot of people experience that with their mothers and that's why there's like so much talk around mother wounds because it's like our mother's like keeping us small to not let us 
get bigger than and more successful than they were and and there's emotional manipulation that starts from a young age unconsciously by the mother that is it causes them all of this struggle because they feel like they can't leave this box or like be who they really want to be so it talks to it talks to all those different sorts of things it does focus a lot around the sexual abuse because of that's where her history is Mm. but um it does talk about yeah just that that it is that ultimate betrayal yeah a question actually came in which kind of um popped in my head when you were talking about that around how so often people then seek out more relationships that because they think they deserve that so a question actually came in from someone saying after you've been in you know had had abuse how do you ensure that you stop seeking out more abusive relationships or behaviors in patterns within your relationships in the future um and they said they gave the example of eg like trying to force a reaction out of their partner and things like that or um yeah almost like looking for for that like how do we break that pattern that's when you have to, like, you're only going to continue that pattern when you haven't done the work, when you haven't seen a professional who can help you to, to reprogram. You have to reprogram your mind because you're not just going to stop. It's not conscious. Like, in the moment, it's an immediate response. Like, you're just, you're doing that because it's, it's just happening to you almost. It's not something that you're consciously like, I'm going to start a fight because I want to be here. It's just happening because it's a program that you're running and it's because it's something that you're used to. And it's like, you know how to be abused. So when you're not being abused and you're being loved, that's really uncomfortable. So it's going to see someone to teach you to remove those memories, to teach you that you don't need to be abused and that you don't need to live life being abused and that it's okay to accept love and then to teach you in a session how that would feel to accept and to receive love and to live life without abuse so that you can experience it and visualise it and feel it and then go out and allow it to happen. So mm. most of the time if you're re- if you're still recreating, it's because you haven't actually worked through properly the causes that's what's it's causing you to keep recreating it yeah so it's like deep down you still have the belief that that's what you deserve or you're you're worthy of that or you're a match for that and so if you don't go in and kind of rewire that belief yeah um and it's like because if you don't like there's this thing of like once we're aware of something it's fixed because it's like that's what psychology is about it's like helping people come to the conclusion of why they are the way they are but just because you come to the conclusion doesn't mean that you have, you're going to solve it. You're like, oh, that's why I am the way I am. I'll just stop being like that now. No, you've got strong pathways in your brain that are used to being lit up every day, like getting their fix. Like you've got to create new neural pathways. You've got to reprogram your mind. You've got to remove the trauma. You've got to go back. You can't, acknowledging it doesn't. And this is something that I've always wanted to say like out loud to people is like just because you acknowledge it and can speak about it doesn't mean you're fixing it that's it's the same with people that are like oh yeah I have severe anxiety because this happened okay that's great that you're aware of that that's really good because some people don't know but what are you gonna do about it Mm, 100% (laughs) yeah yeah so crazy and uh, like I guess from that obviously if someone was like experiencing any of these things whether it's anxiety PTSD whether um you know it was abuse or any form of trauma I think the obvious one is seeking out support from a psychologist which uh 
fantastic. I, I, I've seen one. They're amazing. They have their place. But I also have had a lot of clients who have come to me who've seen a psychologist. One, they didn't click. And I was like, that's cool. Try another one. Um, one, they clicked and it was helpful, but it wasn't enough. If that makes sense, it's like they just were like, no, it's like, yeah, cool. It helped bring awareness. It helped me move a little bit of patterning around releasing the guilt or releasing the shame. Um, It helped me understand myself a little bit better. But on a subconscious level, it's all still there. So what would be... It doesn't go deep enough. No, it's not. It's not deep enough. It's all conscious. It's all... It's it's talk therapy, right? So it's all, all conscious. But what about if there's stuff that you don't know that's subconscious? So... What would be your advice for someone if they maybe they haven't yet or maybe they have seen a psychologist and they're like, they still have PTSD, they still have anxiety or they still have flashbacks or traumas and things they want to work through and they're looking for something alternative. They want tools, they want strategies, they want a professional. Like what are, what have all the tools in your toolbox and that you would recommend? Yeah, yeah. So like because I'm still, honestly, like openly, I'm still – working on this and like I've read a lot about these certain types of trauma and how fucking difficult they are to properly process and get rid of and move into the past and like move forward and live without them so I've been researching this a lot seeking it out for myself um I found so much help with theta healing so um that's because that's subconscious work I found that any memories that I've gone into and I've reprogrammed and I've moved the pain and I've done all of that those memories I can think back to and I can think yeah that was that was fucked up but there's nothing else there whereas the memories that I haven't yet worked on I can feel it in my body and I can feel the panic so it actually reframes it there so theta healing subconscious work is amazing for that which is sort of what NLP as well is really great um and the other thing that some psychologists go to do further studies in, which I've just been reading about is supposed to be amazing is EMDR. So, which is like eye movement desensitization, something. So it's that thing where they say, notice, notice that. And they yes. move the hand around and yeah. So that's supposed to be really amazing as well. Um, and one thing to keep in mind that I've, that I've learned about and, and experienced myself is that um, meditation and mindfulness practices things that are actually grounding and bring you into your body can actually be too much. Mm. So I normally always say to people like, do meditation, calm yourself, blah, blah, blah. But if you actually are having flashbacks and PTSD and things like that, those people cannot meditate because it's too uncomfortable for them to be with their eyes closed in their own mind and allowing things to come up. Yeah. They don't feel safe to do that. So it's actually not, the best thing and there's a um, page called like ptsd awareness or something on instagram and they talk about this all the time like they had a question box and people got to write in like what's something that made you worse and so many people wrote meditation and mindfulness and the other one was cbt which is cognitive behavioral therapy which is something that a lot of psychologists do as well and apparently that is something that opens it up doesn't resolve it just opens it up leaves it wide open and makes it more traumatizing because there's another thing called Mm re-traumatization which can occur where you keep you have the flashbacks of the memories and then it makes you even more traumatized to even think about thinking about it and gets all sorts of crazy so theta healing emdr and nlp any sort of like subconscious mind work and then obviously yeah like psychologists do emdr and there's like there's really good psychologists out there that specify in specific areas like there's 
one on the peninsula who specifies in PTSD as a result from childhood sexual abuse as a specific thing. So like, um, yeah, those kind of things are, are really good. And then it's not one of those things that's like where I can say to people like, you know, do these mantras this day and do this and do that. It's like so much more complicated and intense and entangled, which is why it's trauma untangled because it's so tangled up that it's imp almost impossible even for someone like me who's been studying for 10 years learning about this stuff to actually untangle your own mind. Mm, it's so intense, so intense. Um, I just want to check to see if there was any questions that I potentially missed. Oh, that's right. Someone who, um, this was actually another past client, um, and we worked through this together, but basically she experienced sexual abuse from her stepfather, who was also just uh, physically abusive and her family knew about the physical abuse. Um, they've like separated, they've, they've moved away um, and all of that. And the mum now holds a lot of guilt for putting her daughter in that situation, but she actually never told her about all of the sexual abuse. So she held all of that in. Um, she never told anyone until her boyfriend and then myself, I was the second person she ever told years later. Um, and I actually got her into a psychologist, which was fantastic. But now she's at a point where she feels like she wants to talk to her family about what happened, but she feels like it would just break her mum to then have to relive all of that guilt. And she doesn't want to make her mum feel guilty which is a whole nother, I know that's specific, but it's also very broad in the whole no, it is. Mm, not wanting to talk to family because you don't want them to have to deal with your problems. So how do we go about speaking to our family, protecting them and protecting their energy, but also knowing that we're worthy of, of speaking our truth as well? Yeah. So that's a really good question. Cause I, I absolutely resonate because I felt the same in that I, when it came to telling my brother and sister, I didn't want to tell them because I felt like this is going to traumatize them and ruin their life. And I didn't want to put it on to them. But at the same time, for me, there was like that fear of what if it happened to them as well? Like they need to know that this person that they have a relationship is not who they think he is. And the thing is, something that you said about that and this is a really hard thing to get your head around is that if you have a loving and supportive mum they would want you to do what you need to do to heal if you have a manipulative mum they would want you to keep it to yourself and deal with it yourself and regardless <laughs> the best thing for you is to speak about it if you feel the best thing is to speak about it and you can't make someone feel anything the way that her mum is going to respond to it is on her mum she can choose to say, I do, and, you know, and I've had this with my mum. You know, my mum often messages me and she's struggling and she says to me, like, I can't, I can't believe all these things that you've been through as a child and it breaks my heart and I feel so guilty and I shouldn't have done this and I shouldn't have done that. And whilst it's nice to have that acknowledgement and know that she loves me and cares about me, it also makes you feel bad because you're like, oh, I'm hurting them. But you're not hurting them. You're just speaking your truth. You're just speaking your truth. You're just saying what happened to you. You didn't choose it. She didn't choose it. She didn't choose for that to happen to her. So why should she be stuck with this horrible decision of what to do with it? That also shouldn't be something that she has to decide. And this is where I get so frustrated because it's like I didn't choose for this to happen. 
like I should be able to do what I want with it instead of going oh I shouldn't speak about it to this person because it might hurt their feelings and this could affect them and this could affect them and it's just like everyone chooses how they take the information I choose when someone gives me information how I'm going to interpret it if it means something about me or if it's just like wow I'm so sorry that that happened to you that's my choice and it again it's her mum's choice and if she has a manipulative mum then it makes it more difficult but then realizing and becoming aware of the manipulation also makes it easier to speak up because you're like okay if I had a supportive mum she would say to me she would be supportive and it would be an easy thing to say but if I have a manipulative mum then I'm going to tell her anyway because she needs to stop manipulating me and she needs to know what happened and this is the same thing that something profound that I read that said the and this is the same thing with the girl that asked the first question about her father and not being sure if it was a nightmare or not this um part of this betrayal trauma theory it says you don't even need to remember all of the details of what specifically happened all that you need to know is that when you disclose the information and when you choose to speak about it watch how that person reacts because a supportive parent as a child will support you as an adult and they will be doing everything they can to support you and a manipulative abusive parent as a child when you bring that information up they're going to manipulate and abuse you and they're going to say you're lying and they're going to say you're dreaming and they're going to attack you and a loving parent doesn't attack so you can base everything about the past on what's happening in the present Mm, so so powerful yeah that's like a a really good thing to remember and yeah like no one can make you feel anything she can't make her parents her mum feel anything and if it's healing for her that's what she needs to do because like I said holding it in makes it worse Mm, I actually um I low-key this whole conversation have had this very mild nausea in my stomach of like (laughs) (laughs) of talking to you is just the easiest thing in the world and I was like oh this is this episode's been so much easier than what I thought in my head I was thinking I'm like I thought you know I was sweating before we got on I thought it was going to be so hard I'm still sweating (laughs) yeah I am still sweating as well um and then I was like oh this is so much easier than what it was in my head and then I had this thought of of, I'm like oh but publishing this episode yeah. <laughs> is gonna That's be a whole, a whole other story I'm like oh because right now it's just you and me sitting here having a chat but to put this out to the world I actually feel so physically sick um, I know and I'm, I'm the same that was even like our last episode I messaged you before and I was like oh my god I, did, oh my, I said this and I said that can you cut that out and like yeah. I'm, you know freaked out but yeah. um, it's like it's happened it's it needs to be said mm. and that's the thing that keeps driving me like this is you're the first person and this is the first person you're like this is the first time we've ever spoken about anything like this because mm. it yeah I, I feel this like passion inside me now of like this is fucked up and if no one speaks about it nothing can happen and it's yeah. like that whole like if not I then who if not now then when like mm. when will it stop when will people start realizing that it happens and that it is a normal a semi-normal mm. thing like it's yeah. And even like for for anyone listening, like Jess and I, when we were originally speaking about doing this episode, which was like a couple of months ago now, like it's been a while, we were originally going to try find a voice changer um, so Jess could come on, (laughs) could come on anonymously. And then we were like, oh, that's really going to deter from the message because if you're anonymous, (laughs) we're kind of putting out that there is something to be shameful of. And I was thinking, okay, well, cool. We'll bring it on Jess and we'll make it all about Jess and I'll stay quiet because I've 
like this will be a first for everyone. I've never, ever, ever spoken about this before other than, and look, I haven't gone into any details of obviously what my trauma was, but um, I've, yeah, people get some Insinu- idea. I've insinuated. Yeah. And that's um, the same as me. It's, there's sometimes you don't need, like if you don't people need to do, know. Yeah. No, if, and if people do hear this and they want to know and they want a session with me and they want to reach out because something similar has happened to them, like I'm more than happy to tell people what happened. Mm. And, you know, maybe one day in the future there will be a bit more graphic detail or specifics around who exactly it was, which I'm pretty sure that's been come pretty obvious. But yeah. I think like... um yeah it's it's not necessary at at this point to get the point across of like because the key message here from us I guess is like this shit happens to so many people like and even just the statistics of you know 15 percent by fathers but 38 percent of the entire population of Australian women have been abused sexually as a child that we know of that's that we know of that come forward Mm -hmm. yeah so let's Mm -hmm. say it's like 50 to 60 percent like that is so fucked up like it's Mm -hmm. so fucked Mm -hmm. so it's just making people aware that they're not alone and Mm. that there is help and that even if it's just speaking to other women about it and being lifted up and not feeling the shame anymore. Mm. And I think that's why it was really important for us to just sit down today and talk about this because it is so common. And as a women's coach, and I'm sure you get this too, Jess, but as a women's coach um, and obviously working a lot on mindset, I have a part within me where a lot of clients who come to me for health and fitness and general mindset um and then it all kind of starts untangling let's say (laughs) and then it's like okay cool well your binge eating is actually coming from this trauma that happened when you were younger and I have a lot of women who who feel safe to to disclose this and as I said my other client who I had she'd never told anyone it was like the I was like the first person she told and I was like whoa you need to see someone about this like you can't keep holding this in um And let me tell you the amount of clients that I've had come to me and talk to me about um, either repressed memories, um, you know, uh, like sexual assault from their fathers, from stepdads, from uncles, from um, right down to like neighbors and things like that. Um, I know we even have a mutual client right now that's had a similar experience with repressed memory. Like it's guys, it's not an uncommon thing. It's so much, when you realize how common it is, it, it will blow your mind. And being in our occupations that we're in, you see on the grand scale, how, how common it is. And it's just that people don't feel safe talking about this. And the longer people don't feel safe talking about this, the longer that this, it just keeps happening. Like, because there's no threat from them because so many, so many people don't talk about it. So what, what's the harm? What's the threat? You know, there's no threat of being prosecute or anything like that it's just it's, it's all just towards the abuser like it's it's oh. totally fo- it's like all helps to support them like mm. it's all just making it so much easier for them and it's yeah absolutely it's, mm. and the repressed memories is really difficult too because it is such a subject that unless you really research it and read the actual um like you know the scientific like the papers written on it by psychologists like all the academia you don't actually realize that it's a real thing and it has a scientific explanation because so many people think well I must be going crazy and it's such an easy thing for an abuser to just go that's a false memory that was a dream gaslight you gaslight yeah it's so easy and it's so it's something that if I'm hoping that if I speak about it more through trauma untangled and get people aware of how it works and and 
you know, make it not such a taboo subject, then people will actually feel comfortable saying, yeah, it'll just be like a conversation like, oh yeah, yeah. When I was like 27, I had all these repressed memories come back and, you know, and everyone just knows what it is and knows how it works because it's a thing that happens because it is just, it's like a bodily function. It's a Mm. brain function. So it's not, it needs to be known as that rather than as like, you're properly crazy. <laughs> yeah, 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 100%. Um, and I'm going to, obviously, I'll put like Trauma Untangled and everything like that in the show notes. If anyone wants to work with you, I would just highly recommend it. But just to close, if someone's like listening to this right now and they're like, wow, I have a lot of like stuff that I want to work through, but I just feel so scared to just dive into this. What's just like an intuitive message you would give that you feel that someone listening right now just just needs to hear on their journey right now? I would say that the pain of staying the same is going to outweigh the pain of change. Like Mm. staying, like you think that going into it is going to be the scariest thing in your life, but really you've already already gone through the scariest thing in your life. Bringing it up, healing it, moving through it, confronting it, all of that stuff is actually not as bad as what happened to you. Like you've already been through so much, you can totally handle the healing of it. Like that's, that's the freeing part. Yes, it's hard to bring it up, but that is the freeing part. And you're struggling every day with it anyway, whether you realize or not. You know, if you keep a journal and you read back on it, you'll realize that periodically over your whole life, you've been suffering and struggling with it. So why not take a crack at thriving, at moving through it at the other side? And yet it's scary because you can't imagine it, but that's what I'm here for, to help people see that it's a possibility, to help them to imagine it and to to move through it so yeah it's really that like the pain of staying the same like do you want to just live your whole life like this like the way that you're feeling right now or do you like and get to the end of it and be like fuck I wish I'd have dealt with that or do you want to just do the hard bit now and then come out the other side like it's it's not an easy thing and that's again like if anyone's experienced something specific like what I've been speaking about um like I would love to help because I know that it's it is something that you feel very misunderstood and you feel very odd like an odd person like and and yeah I I can resonate with that and I can understand that and I would love to help people who have like sort of experienced that Mm. and for anyone who has kids or wants kids once you get into trauma you start realizing and you start learning about generational trauma and things like that and patterning and stuff like that and you know what breaking the pattern all starts with you and you think that oh I'll never be like that or I'll never act that way or I won't be but you will because that's how as humans we're designed and our brain is structured to repeat patterns so yep. unless you can go in deeper and unless you can do that inner work and that inner healing you're not going to break that pattern and you're going to pass that on generationally so breaking that pattern all starts with you 100% and that's a, like people talk about finding purpose and things but for the interim like that's a purpose in itself like I've written that to myself so many times like I've written like you didn't break the cycle of trauma I did I'm breaking the cycle I'm gonna be the one that breaks the cycle I'm not not ever gonna pass trauma onto my children it Mm -hmm. ends with me and if that's not a life purpose like for someone that can't figure out what career they want or whatever like take that at least if you're struggling with trauma like at least you're gonna be the one to break the cycle yeah. and it, making it stop with you and that work is great to do before you have children 
amazing but it also is if you have children already and you will know that you get triggered and it's very easy to go to figure out what's triggering you once you have children because mm. it's all surfaces and then you're raising little babies that won't trigger their children or other people or cause harm on the world and then that's how we create the world to be a better place absolutely and it sounds small but like every person huge. makes such a difference like it's mm. huge absolutely. absolutely and healing one person like then I know that with me, like once I spoke to my brother and sister, like I, they realized that, you know, it's the similar thing, the same thing didn't happen to them, but other things happened to them. And then they, it set them free. My healing set them free. And now they're, you know, quitting jobs and starting new passions and like doing other things with their life because it's like that, that permission to, to let go and that permission watching someone else do it. So you never know who you're affecting by just healing yourself. So it's never selfish to heal yourself because <laughs> mm, that's another thing to, yeah. people think. Yeah. Permission to let go. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I know it was not easy for you um, and you've done incredibly well. Oh, we're, we're, both, we're both sweaty. We've got sweaty palms. We've got sweaty pits. I'm just, I'm just a big thing of sweat right now. Um, but again, thank you so much. Um, and I hope, hope this was helpful for those listening and anyone who is listening and wants to reach out to Jess, like contact her for sure. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jess.